All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Elections Weekly. Uh, we got our normal crew here this time. We got uh, Joe, Dylan, and myself uh, with us. We're going to be talking about some of the, the recent special election in Alaska, uh, ranked choice voting. We're going to get into some more of the uh, discussion on uh, some of these uh, candidates in Ohio and in uh, Arizona where the RNC, uh, or, or not the RNC, where the Republican Senate uh, leadership is dueling with Peter Thiel over who was going to bail out the campaign. Uh, but So we're going to go ahead and start, though, with the special election result uh, from Alaska. Now, unlike the other special elections, we don't think this is probably too indicative of the national environment, I wouldn't say. Uh, there's some there's some unique circumstances here. It's it's a good sign for Democrats, but there's a bunch of weird things here uh, that, that that are Alaska specific. Uh, uh, Mary Poltola managed to win this election uh, by about three percentage points over Sarah Palin. This was with ranked choice voting. Um, she finished first in the, in the in the initial round, and in the second round, uh, she finished ahead uh, by about uh, she got about forty eight point five percent of votes. Sarah Palin got forty five point eight percent of votes. And about 5.7% of votes were exhausted by the end. Now, most other outlets will not tell you the exhausted vote totals. I want to tell you because it's just a little bit of context there that these exhausted vote totals, uh, mostly from Nick Bagot supporters, who uh, went only about 50% of Nick Bagot supporters went to Sarah Palin in the second round. Um, Bagot is, of course, the other Republican running in this race. So Paltola is the first Democrat elected here since 1972. There are some weird wrinkles, though. Again, this is the first ranked choice election. This is going to be happening again in November with the addition of a, of a fourth candidate here uh, on the ballot. Uh, you now have the Nick Bagot, Sarah Palin civil war continuing here uh, because these two candidates do not understand how ranked choice voting works. Uh, Sarah Palin is demanding that Nick Bagot drop out. And Nick Bagot is saying, you already lost. Uh, you should be the one dropping out, Sarah Palin. Um, I, I mean, again, neither of these people know how ranked choice voting works. No. If I were – Sarah Palin has a, has the stronger argument here, um, I would think. Um, to, to drop out or to stay in? Sarah Palin has a stronger argument to stay in. Um, she did come in second. She got more votes than Bagich. Mm -hmm. that, That's a fair point. But what I will say here is, is a couple specific things. So I wrote about this at Elections Daily. I'll post the link here in the chat on our StreamYard or on our uh, YouTube and uh, Twitch streams. Uh if you're listening to us on Twitter, you can find that at our website. It's the most recent article on the website about ranked choice voting, uh, the results here. One interesting wrinkle in this race is Republicans won the, won the initial vote 60 to 40. They won about 61% of the votes, uh, and Democrats uh, uh, got about 40% of the votes here. Uh, this went to the Democrat, Mary Poltola, because of baggage voters. Why did baggage voters go so far to Sarah uh, not go overwhelmingly to Sarah Palin? There's a couple factors here. One, Sarah Palin is really unpopular. She's at about 30% approval in Alaska. That's enough to get you through that first round of ranked choice voting. And I would argue it's a flaw in the ranked choice voting system compared to other ones. Um, but she has that floor. Now, in a normal election, there'd be probably enough time for Sarah Palin to at least try to consolidate baggage voters into her camp. They're both Republicans. You would think in most elections, the candidates do ultimately consolidate. The voters do ultimately consolidate back to their party to some degree. Because this election is instant, the votes were all cast couple weeks ago and then the runoff was instant there was no consolidation there's no opportunity for consolidation both baggage and palin spent the entire campaign attacking each other exclusively and generally ignoring peltola when i say they don't understand how ranked choice voting works this is why they now i know it's counterintuitive for politicians to realize this but in ranked choice voting you do need to worry about not attacking your opponent so much that their voters do not want to vote for you 
the ideal position you want to be in ranked choice voting is to have a stable coalition of voters to get you in that top two. And then to not have alienated additional voters, to convince those other voters to vote for you. We saw this in New York with the ranked choice voting primary there. Um, uh, uh, Garcia, Catherine Garcia, uh, attempted to consolidate voters from Andrew Yang's camp, and it almost worked. Uh, well, to some degree. She finished second. She lost that by about a percentage point. But she did attempt. They did campaign together saying that you should that you should vote for me, but you should rank this other guy second. Um, they did do that. You would think because Bagish and Palin are both Republicans, they would have had the, the smarts to do this, but they really, really don't like each other. Bagish's cam entire campaign was focusing on Sarah Palin having abandoned the state of Alaska, resigning as governor, and then moving to Arizona, among other things. And then Palin's campaign was focusing on claims that Bagich was not a legitimate Republican because his family is a Dem because his family is a Democratic family. This is a ridiculous claim. Nick Bagich the third is actually far more republic far more conservative than Sarah Palin. Uh, Palin has had a more maverick tendency as governor. One of her signature initiatives as governor was a oil tax, uh, which was then repealed by Sean Parnell. And Palin was so angry by the repeal of this oil tax, she endorsed Bill Walker in 2014. She was so anti-school choice as governor that the uh, National Education Association lauded her initial selection as Sarah Palin's v as uh, John McCain's VP. Uh, at, so basically, she's on the kook scale. She's certainly up there. On the conservative scale, she's actually a little quite below Bagich. Bagich's family is very anti-government. His parents actually spread conspiracy theories about his about his uh, about um, uh, the initial wow. Nick Bagich's death as a plane crash. They allege that it was a government plot of some sort. Very very anti-government people. Uh, oh, so. This is a very, very weird election. Peltola, of course, ran a very uh, – the more moderate campaign of between her and Palin, um, positioning herself as pro-abortion uh, pro rights, uh, positioning herself as also pro-oil and pro-fisher, uh, pro-fish. These are two pretty important things in Alaska. This is enough to get her through. I will note, counting the ranked choice votes, the results not too different from previous results. Uh, that 48.5 to 45.8 result – is very, very similar to Bill Walker's margin in 2014 over Sean Parnell. He won that race with 48.1% of the vote compared to 45.9% for uh, for Sean Parnell. So what are our takeaways from this first off? And then we'll get into more of a discussion on ranked choice voting, how this impacted things, and how November is going to go. Because unlike this time, if Palin and Bagot are smart, they could try and consolidate their voters to at least rank each other. That's a benefit they would have, whether they're smart enough to do this. It remains to be seen. It doesn't seem like it so far. Yeah. yeah, not so far. I have to say not definitely not so far here. Uh, you know, uh, got to got to say this actually pretty accurately followed the polling. This result pretty mm -hmm. accurately followed the polling. It said that Nick Bagot would win against Mary Piltola and Sarah Payne would lose by about two points. Yeah. So it said Bagot would actually win by about 10 uh, for yeah. comparison. Here. And and let's remind folks here that Sarah Palin lost by about two points. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what what happened was exactly what we expected to happen. People people did not want to see Sarah Palin back in office. Again, I think Eric mentioned this again, uh, obviously a history since she was governor. She left with pretty poor approval ratings. People were pointing out online that she had decent approval ratings when she was McCain's vice presidential nominee. But after that campaign and when she decided she won become a nationwide star, those ratings began to tank. It's why she mm -hmm. resigned. It's why she didn't run for another term as Alaska's governor. It's why that did not happen. It's why a lot of people questioned 
if she should be, uh, why she should be the candidate. And of course, with that Trump endorsement, she was able to get over Nick Baggage III that had a lot of issues and that had a lot of problems uh, in that regard here. So in the end, probably we all should have been less surprised than we actually were. Polling showed this. It's hard to see what the polls say. I understand there's always going to be, especially after 2020, uh, mm-hmm. there's going to be significant cynicism with these polls. Uh, especially considering the the leading pollster in Alaska had not had a great track record the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I will want to know, before, before we move to Dylan here, I do want to mention we are keeping this race in the general leans Republican for now. Uh, our primary reason for doing this, this is still a Trump plus 10 state. It would require a lot for Democrats to hold this. For comparison, we still have the Myra Flores seat in South Texas, uh, Texas, I believe 34. Um, we have that still leans Democratic. We, we didn't feel we could move this to a toss-up uh, and, and not move the floor seat. We don't feel comfortable moving that seat yet. We could move this later uh, if we get more polling for the ranked choice voting, but we are keeping the general election for now still leans Republican, but more towards the toss up side of that, of that element. Yeah. Um, I, I was a little more surprised by this than I probably should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, like Eric, I don't think this is super indicative <laughs> of the national environment, but what I think it does say is we're not at this moment headed for a red tsunami. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's not happening. Yeah. One other wrinkle here I'll mention real quick is Mary Paltola and Sarah Palin are actually friends. They're friendly. Um, This is the funny thing. It's almost certain that Sarah Palin ranked Mary Paltola second. They uh, bonded. They bonded during their experience. Uh, They were both pregnant at the same time, but they were serving in Alaska's government. Uh, Sarah Palin, in, in uh, on one end, uh, berated Nick Bagich after the after her defeat, and then on the other hand, said a very very nice post on Twitter, very friendly, very positive comment toward Mary Peltola. Uh, Alaska on... is really weird. Alaska is really really weird. Okay, <laughs> but to show how weird Sarah Palin is, in the same breath that she's talking about how she's talking so positively about Mary Peltola, she's also saying the election might have been rigged and. Poltola's gonna set fire to Alaska. Yeah, it's really strange. It's really it, strange. It makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Sarah Palin's just not popular. Um, I thought she would win. I, I really did. Um, but it, she's just not popular. And when we get to the full discussion about ranked choice voting, I'll actually take the side of defending ranked choice voting in this case. Um, I do think approval voting is better, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want to go ahead and move on to the ranked choice voting discussion, or we have a little bit more to go over? No, right? I think we should move on here. Yeah. All right, so that article I wrote, that's not the only opinion we have at Elections Daily. We have ranked choice defenders here. We have people who really like ranked choice voting. I was actually impressed by some elements of the system. Specifically, what I was really impressed by was the speed in which they counted votes. At the minute, I expected the vote tabulation process to take longer than it did. Uh, I did not expect the ranked choice voting to be announced uh Instantly. Now, would I love it to happen earlier? Sure, but that's not realistic for Alaska. They basically announced this ranked choice voting thing roughly as soon as they could if you're going to announce it all in one dump. Uh, They could have been tabulating this the whole week. They chose to dump it at the same time, like in the UK. Totally understandable. It took 15 days to count. That's not abnormal for Alaska. I'm actually really impressed by the speed they counted. What I'm not so impressed by specifically is is two things. Uh, First off, Ranked choice voting advocates really like to focus on a couple of elements. The first element they really focus on is the tempering down of extremist candidates. That it makes it harder for extremist candidates to win. 
the question I have here for that is, would Sarah Palin have lost a first-past-the-post election? Polling, I think, I'm other than having a month or so to consolidate Begich voters, um, I'm not sure the actual result here is too different. She got about 30% of the votes. She would have won the Republican primary regardless. It would have been a close election. She maybe could have won first-past-the-post, but I think Baltola has a really good shot at winning it as well, maybe even more, uh, because there's, you know, uh, there's not only two candidates on the ballot. Alaska Democrats actually traditionally do much better when there are multiple candidates on the ballot. Uh, they don't win elections with majorities of the vote. They win them with pluralities, 48, 49% of the vote. Mm -hmm. The other element here is obviously Palin had a small segment of the electorate, about 30%, that was fiercely committed and loyal to her and to no one else. This is the sort of candidate the ranked choice voting advocates would say is not going to be advantaged by the system. The problem is, out of the three candidates here, Begich is clearly the most popular. Polls The, the poll that showed this result pretty much exactly showed Begich would have won by 10%. Um, he finished in third in the ranked choice voting system. Uh, I know there's another system, con Concordette, that could that could do this, but on this specific element, Palin, Palin could have still won this ranked choice voting system. She didn't, but she could have still won if they had been, if they had been a smidge smarter during the campaign. So I'm actually not impressed by that element at all. I don't think this did a sufficient job of rooting out more extreme candidates, and I don't think it will in the future. See, um, I don't think it should. I don't think the role should be to root out more extremist candidates. If the extremist candidate is the popular one, why shouldn't they win? Well, that's a fair point. But the general, the general thing I'm, I'm saying more or less is that ranked choice voting advocates love to point out that elections can be won in first past the post with a small committed base of voters and everyone else fracturing. Ranked choice voting at mm -hmm. minimum prevents that from happening because it gives a second option. Mm -hmm. The problem is that still happened here. That's that still happened here. It just it would have happened almost exactly the same way as it did under first past the post. Well, he, he, just to, sorry to interrupt here, but I think just to make this point here, uh, I think this is kind of a, a, a kink in the Alaska system. Obviously, in the Alaska system, it goes down to a top four in which then we get down into the uh, the actual balloting. That's when we get down into the actual uh, primary, and then it goes to the ranked choice voting. Uh, obviously, if it was Alaska and they had all the candidates they had and they tried to rank choice uh, all of those uh, candidates, then we'd have a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact is, I think when you, uh, I think the idea around ranked choice that you would include all the candidates, which why I think ranked choice voting makes a lot of sense for primaries. It would still be, mm -hmm. in theory, a massive pain in the butt. But I think that's why ranked choice is talked about more in primaries, mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. than general elections, because when you just have then a four-person general election, we still see the polarization. And also, I think as we've definitely seen in Alaska, the fact that we have candidates who just do not like each other. And because he had two Republicans, he had two Republicans who decided to try and out Republican each other. And mm -hmm. while that would have worked for a Republican primary, that is not going to work when they were technically together in a general election and set those two off against each other. And that kind of led to what we have here. Uh, you know, this is why I question ranked choice voting in general elections. I don't know if it's that for, mm -hmm. you know, pointful of a system. However, I think in primaries, I think it's I think it would be a very good thing, and I think that would be necessary. But I think under Alaska's system, where they're doing it as well for a general election, I think its effects are still, for the most part, relatively questionable. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think in another point to this, you know, you look back to Virginia's uh, unassembled convention in 2021. That was a primary that did have ranked choice voting, but obviously a big deal in that regard 
is that you look at the lieutenant governor's primary. You had Winsome Sears kind of come out of nowhere as, a, as the third choice and be able to win because Tim Hugo and Glenn Davis basically both went scorched earth on each other and, uh, and Hugo significantly more so than Davis did. And then when it came down to when Davis was eliminated, it was down to Hugo versus Sears. Tim Hugo actually, people forget this, but Tim Hugo gained a, a significant amount of the uh, Davis voters who ranked afterwards uh, that got him nearly 10 points back on Winsome Sears than what he was. Uh, he only ended up losing about 54 uh, to 46, uh, excuse me, 54 to 45 about uh, in 54 to 46, yeah, 54 to 46, excuse me, uh, been a long week, but, uh, even in that regards though, and then still about 25% of Glenn Davis voters still left their ballots blank. And you can imagine that 25%, which was again, not a small number Glenn Davis, uh, before the round ended had about 22, 23% of the total vote of those, uh, unassembled convention members though. So you can imagine 25% of that starting to rank their ballots again, probably going towards a pretty similar amount towards Tim Hugo, uh, that could have led to a significantly different result in that lieutenant governor's race and that primary in, in Virginia. So we kind of have this combination here of something that we've seen before. So we shouldn't be surprised that we saw this happen again with the baggage voters refusing to rank Palin, but also the fact that I still question whether or not ranked choice voting is a viable or if it truly makes a difference in general election settings compared uh, the way that Alaska does it compared to in a primary setting where I actually do think it would probably make a much more significant difference. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about this real quick. I want to mention this. I'll, I'll get well, to I, Dylan. Dylan, a Dylan has a point. Let Dylan make a point. Yep. Go right ahead. So I, I don't think I totally disagree with what you're saying, Joe. Um, I think the two counterpoints I would make specifically with the Tim Hugo, Glenn Davis example um, is I'm not convinced, and Eric kind of alluded to this at the beginning, I'm not convinced that Begich's voters um, who either rank, uh, who either, uh, not who either, who just exhausted their ballot would have just not turned out in this election. I'm not convinced that wouldn't have happened. Um, And I forgot what the other point I was going to make was, so we can, we can keep going. (laughs) Yep. So what I would mention here is there's two Alaska-specific wrinkles here. One, the all-party primary does not have ranked choice voting. You can only vote for one candidate there. That is a problem. I think that's an actual problem. I, uh, I agree. That's a, that's a severe fault in the system. You're actually doing it the opposite of how ranked choice voting should work, where you have ranked choice in the primary at minimum. Now, I get ranking 30 candidates would be silly, but if you're going to go ranked choice voting, you got to go all the way. You cannot cut it out the actual most important part of it here. See, I think what they could do is, yeah, ranking 30 candidates is ridiculous, and I wouldn't expect any voter to do that. But let them rank like the top four, top five. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. fair. I don't that's know why. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why they don't do it that way. Actually. That's a variation of approval voting or the county commission voting system. A lot of counties use, a lot of city mm-hmm. councils use, or there are like four open, three or four open seats at a time, and you vote for the three candidates that you want. That's pretty normal that's something i think most americans or at least a lot of them have experience with there's there you can vote for less if you want you you can't vote for more but you can vote for at least you can vote for up to three or four in a top four system i think that makes a lot of sense that would that would at least be sensible but the other problem here 
is Alaska's top four system in general. Yeah, this is this is I, the point yeah. I was going to bring up is that yeah. this this maybe should not this election may not be should be seen totally as a criticism as ranked choice voting, but I think more of Alaska's I think poor decision to do it as a top four general election because we've and now we've seen it twice already where we've had people who have made it into the top four decide to drop out and mm-hmm. make it then a top three because they can't win because if you're fourth win. you're not going to win why would you run why would you run at this point you're not so, going to so win. i think i think and i think this is maybe where we'd agree with uh, i think all three of us here agree on this is that this idea of making a uh, top four top five top six does not really make it any better, especially in a general election. It makes it confusing in a general election. A general election should not be run like a primary. It should never be run like a primary. It should never put people in a position where they think about running in it like a primary. Uh, I think Alaska's top four system does that. I think there. I know there. I think it's Nevada who's proposing a top five idea. Even worse. I, I think, even worse. I think that would again even be a pretty bad idea in Nevada as well. Yeah, you know, I, I think yeah. I, I do believe in ranked choice voting. I really do like ranked voice ranked choice voting in primary elections. I really do question its ability in general elections. I really do question its ability uh, in you know actually having a, a predestined effect. And I actually question it to make it actually run like a general election. We did not see they beat a, a legitimate debate, in my opinion, between Peltola, who was basically, you know, who was the Democratic nominee, you know, ad nauseum since Al Grossa dropped, and between a, a opposing candidate. Instead, you had Palin and Begich going at well, each other. It, it, if I may, Go that's, ahead. that's not that's not the fault of ranked choice voting. That's the fault of two bad candidates. Well, I, I, I should again. I'm not trying to pose this as a fault of ranked choice voting. I'm posing it as a fault that Alaska has of top four, top mm-hmm. five general election system. I don't think that's a fault of ranked choice voting. It's a fault of the system that Alaska has implemented. See, this, this, this is a continued. I think this is a continued problem into which we are trying. Uh, we have made general elections more confusing. General elections should not be confusing. As much as I do not like the California or Washington systems, at the very least, they get it down to candidate A and candidate B when you go to the ballot in November. Uh, you know, that's that's the important thing right there. Uh, when it comes down to anything else, you know, uh, it does not it, – in primaries, it should be down to candidate A and candidate B. How you get there does not matter to me. I think whether that's just first past the post, which I still I think in primaries is a very bad idea, or ranked choice or approval voting, which I think would be significantly better for primary elections and getting a, a adjunct primary nominee. You know, it's for general elections. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to try and have more than two serious candidates. There are Libertarian and Green Party candidates all the time. But honestly, the more that we kick those groups out, <laughs> probably would be for the betterment of uh, ourselves. Mm. But obviously, that that's that's not that that shouldn't be happening. But it would mm. probably make things less confusing for uh, the general voter. But we shouldn't do that. Uh, but I think at least I think in party-run systems, if we could have Democratic primaries and Republican primaries both run by ranked choice voting. And then at the end of that, we have those who we, we get, you know, the two nominees. And even if then there are minor party candidates, again, they relatively uh, don't really, they, they relatively don't matter. 
in oh. most races, in about 80% of race, not even 80%, 99% of races, those third-party candidates don't matter. So right. I, but, I think the top four system, it's the bigger, it's a, it leaves a bigger mess and it leaves a lot more to be desired. I was critical of it when it first happened. Uh, I continue to be critical of it. See, I've always found ranked choice voting to benefit the third parties more than anyone else. Um, that's, I think, that's why I thought many advocated for it was because- I disagree. Really, I, I disagree with that. See, I think it's- hard to doubt especially in uh in maine we saw the green party candidate and i believe even max lynn got higher percentages of the vote than they other uh, than they otherwise would have the problem is looked. they lose all influence the point of a third party in american politics is not to win elections the point of a third party is to influence the two major parties to change their stances on issues this has been a constant throughout american history go back to the the, uh, the the Whig, you know, the, the Republican Party back when the Whigs were a thing. The Republican Party was so successful as it took over from the Whig Party. The Whig Party imploded and the Republicans took over. Look back at the Green Party in 2000. The Green Party wanted to make environmentalism a bigger part of the platform. Uh, when they arguably swung the election in favor of Al Gore, what did Democrats do? They made environmentalism a lot bigger part of their platform. Same thing in 2016. Was anyone talking about the Green New Deal before Jill Stein? No. Now pretty much every Democrat that's that's moderately left of center is proposing a green new deal. Why? Because the green party influenced an election. Sure. When you go to ranked choice voting, you rob third parties of the ability to influence elections unless their voters simply do not rank anyone. I think that is a flaw, but I don't think it's the biggest flaw with the system. What I want to actually get at is, is the way the system skews the actual outcome. So let's picture two scenarios here. The first scenario is that Alaska, almost all statewide elections from 2010 on follow a basic pattern. Two Republicans get the most votes, then there's a Democrat, and then there's either another Democrat or there's a third party. Or actually, no, there's another Republican, another third party, or a Democrat. So there'd be either two Republicans in every election, pretty much, except for twenty, except for the uh, 2020 Senate, I think, because there was Al Gross and there was a bunch of other people there. Um, or actually, sorry, it might have been 2014 governor. So basically, you have two Republicans pretty much every election. You have one Democrat all the time. Unless there's no Democrat running because they're running an independent. And then you have either another independent, another Democrat, or a third Republican. Mm -hmm. What is the problem here? So ranked choice voting. This is still a system where the, getting the most votes in the first round does matter. You want to win more votes than the other person. Being a first choice is a lot better than being a second voice uh, or second choice. Even further here, looking at it this way. So let's say there are two Republicans and two Democrats. One of them is a moderate Republican, one of them is a conservative, one of them is a moderate Democrat, one of them is a liberal Democrat. Which two candidates do you think are going to advance to the top two in a baseline even election? I would say it's probably going to be the conservative Republican and the and the progressive or liberal Democrat. I think that'd be the general top two almost all of the time. The voters are going to preference, if there's both parties there, they're going to preference towards the more party favorable candidate. What happens when you get rid of that? You have one Democrat, you have one independent and you have two Republicans, one conservative, one moderate. At this point, you're forcing an election between a conservative Republican mm -hmm. and, a, and a Democrat who's probably inclined to shift towards the center. What we saw here is you saw two Republicans attacking each other the entire time because they wanted to win Republican voters over. Republican voters are 60 percent of the electorate. Democratic voters are only 40 percent of the electorate. 
what's the smart play here? The smart play is probably to go for the more conservative portion of your party and then hope the moderates come over. Is it easier to win conservative Republicans or is it to win moderate Democrats? It's much easier if you're a Republican to win Republicans over. I'd certainly argue that. So I don't, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it's creating a situation where you can see a bunch of these elections in the future where one Democrat consolidates all of the Democratic support. One independent does nothing. And then you have two Republicans duking it out the entire time. Is this a structural flaw? I would argue it probably is. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I'm certainly looking at this like this could be a big problem in the future okay. for Republicans if they don't get smart. Okay, if I if I may, I think I don't think this is a structural flaw because it's relying on Republican politicians to not understand ranked choice voting. It's not something specifically designed to create a certain outcome. At worst. It is something designed to encourage Republicans to campaign in a way that makes them unpalatable to the majority of the, to the majority of voters. At I'm worst. not so sure, though, because, again, well, if you have a normal primary, people will run to the right in the primary and then try to consolidate in the general. There's no opportunity for consolidation. Now, you got one shot to get votes. You got the general election and then you got to hope people rank you correctly. Um, yeah, it's a matter of correcting how you campaign and how you, you go about things. But even in California, where there's a top two, if there's a two Democrat race, who is going to win? It's going to be the it's going to be the candidate the Democratic Party supports most of the time. It's not going to be someone who the Democrats don't support because, but win because they get the thirty percent of the electorate that's Republicans or something. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a flaw in these sorts of systems where you're kind of giving multiple parties, multiple candidates from the same party, a ticket to compete. See, here's where I think you could fix a lot of the. Uh, fix a lot of that issue don't let somebody drop out once they're on the ballot don't let mm-hmm. like don't let algros get off the ballot algros mm-hmm. has to stay on the ballot he doesn't have to campaign but he at least has to stay on the ballot um i but i don't agree that this is a structural flaw because there are ways to campaign around it sarah palin and nick Bagich actively didn't campaign as if they were in a ranked choice system. They actively campaigned as if they were in a Republican primary. They attacked sure. each other. They left the Democrat unchallenged. That's the difference. A, a Two competent candidates would have raised their ire at the Democrat with 40% of the electorate and said, yeah, we may disagree, but we're both still Republicans. You should rank us. The problem is you want to win. You want to finish in first. And I would argue Democrats could face this exact same problem in a marginal Biden plus two House seat in, say, Anchorage. If you get that liberal Democrat and the moderate Democrat and then you have a Republican sneaking in and there's an independent that nobody's going to vote for, the Republican could certainly skate through that time because the the two Democrats are going to be duking it out the entire fight. Right. But yeah, again, like you. Sorry. That's but that's a flaw with the candidates, not the voting system. I would argue it's inherently a fl- because it's inherently it's inherently giving an unequal playing field. Two Democrats are having to compete for all Democratic votes. They're 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 because their their vote base is going to be predominantly Democrats. They're labeled as Democrats. If they were labeled as nonpartisans, this wouldn't be as huge of an issue. I wouldn't support that. I if, don't but if, if but if there's two Democrats on the ballot, they're going to be working for that Democratic vote. If there's one Republican on the ballot, they're going to get all the Republican votes. They don't have to worry about that at all. They just have to campaign for the rest of – they just have to campaign for enough second-choice preferences from the Democrats. Same the other way around. Mary Paul Tola did not have to work to consolidate the Democratic vote. She had all of it. If Al Gross was in, she probably would have got – I mean he wouldn't have gotten any votes because he would have stopped campaigning. Um, but – 
she would have gotten those votes anyway. It created a situation where Republicans were competing for effectively control over over the Republican chunk of the electorate while the Democratic chunk is entirely unopposed. I do think that's a structural flaw. Um, that, at least to my opinion, you could get rid of this problem by going to a top three and, and not allowing multiple Republicans in the same field. Or you can get rid of this by going to approval voting. That switches the game entirely. It gets rid of that incentive to campaign for a smaller chunk of the electorate because you have to compete to all of the electorate. So I want to go to the uh, New York mayoral election mm -hmm. just to kind of illustrate the point I'm trying to make. Um, I believe, and I could be mistaken, somebody please correct me if I am, uh, Maya Wiley and uh, Catherine Garcia did make a pact to try to stop uh no uh, i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it was uh it was garcia and yang who finished like fourth or fifth oh you're right it was yang uh, i'm sorry yeah. I, I don't remember i <laughs> it feels like that was five years ago mm -hmm. um but i mean i don't i see what you're saying and i i struggle to fully disagree with you but to me, it's it just comes down to campaign differently. You don't like the rules that have been sure. set. Either try to change them or adjust your campaign. Oh, no, I, I agree. Don't, it, don't it, cry foul yeah. like Sarah Palin. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But I would, I would point two things out about New York. The first is that clearly this does not work for Andrew Yang because he finished in fourth or fifth. This is basically a concession that he was going to lose by going into that electoral pact. The second is all of them are Democrats. They're all competing in the Democratic field. This wasn't in a general election. Uh, it, it again, it's New York. There's no chance a Republican wins that election. But would would if if it were a, if it were a top four in New York, and you had two candidates there, you had you know, you had a Wiley, you had a, say let's say it was a, a Wiley and Garcia. Would they have made a pact with each other in the general? Probably not. They would have gone after that larger chunk of Democratic votes. That's a better bet in New York than it is in Alaska, for sure. Right. But I, I do think I, I think you have to. I agree. You need to go with the system that it is. I do think the system is inherently designed to disadvantage candidates or parties when there are two candidates of theirs in the same field and not two candidates from the other party. I do think that is a substantial flaw. So, but wouldn't this also? And correct me if I'm wrong. You know Alaska better than I do. Wouldn't this? also theoretically damage the moderate coalition uh, considerably by giving Republicans the ability to overcome their plurality victories? I mean, in theory, I, I know in the House, the coalition members are only at 18 of 22, 18 members right now, and they need 21 for a majority. That's pretty embarrassing, uh, considering this was supposed to help them. They're doing better in the Senate. Kel Kelly Merrick, for some reason, finished in first place in her primary uh, looks pretty favorable there. And there's another coalition friendly Republican that is uh, in the, that uh, Kathy Geisel who lost her primary last time and has finished first and in this primary in her seat. So it's not helped them out in the legislature in, in the legislature too much. But what I would say is that it's clearly designed to benefit. Uh, if, if a party is able to pre-consolidate all of their voters, I think they're inherently in a better position than the party that's not able to consolidate their voters that has two candidates. I mean, yeah, you could say they Palin and Bagot should have been just chumming it up the whole time, but well, they have to compete for those voters. Peltola didn't have to compete for any competition for Democratic voters whatsoever. 
it, oh I, I, is that an unfair playing field? I don't know what's the playing field you're going to have to deal with here for Republican because this is pretty much going to be every single election in Alaska until either the system has changed, gets repealed, or they wisen up. But, <laughs> I, but I think you'll also agree that ranked choice voting didn't change the outcome here. It, no. It's very likely Sarah Palin would have lost. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not arguing that, and and I think that makes the I think that makes the problem with ranked choice voting here even more clear is that this didn't actually change the outcome. An outcome that would have changed is if Nick Bagich was able to win. Clearly, Nick Bagich in the polling, the same poll that showed uh, the exact result accuracy, said he would win by ten. If you had approval voting, he probably wins this pretty handily. Palin certainly would have gotten around 31 percent of the electorate, her hardcore base of Republican voters, uh, but it would have basically been a two person contest in the general between Peltola and. Bigitch. Um, am I saying that? Am I saying that's unfair? Am I saying it's fair? No, I'm just saying approval voting is better. I mean, I agree. Approval voting is better. I don't dislike ranked choice voting to the degree you do, but I agree. Approval mm-hmm. voting is the better system. I think. I think it's fine in primaries. Ranked choice is fine in primaries, and this is kind of showing this paired with the jungle system is just creating the worst of both worlds. Because I hate jungle primaries, and I dislike ranked choice voting in generals. Um, it's it's the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I'm not a huge – I don't love jungle primaries. I don't dislike them. Um, I I don't know. I, I'm i agnostic on them. Yeah, but I think we, we do have some time here left. Do we want to go ahead and talk real quick about the, the situation with the teal candidates or keep going on about Alaska for the rest of the show? No, I think talking about teal is going to be very fun. <laughs> yeah, all right. So we got a little bit of time here left. Let's talk about this. So Peter Teal and Mitch McConnell are having a standoff right now. As to who is going to be funding the P- the Peter Thiel funded candidates who are doing a very very bad job of of campaigning, in one corner <laughs> you have in one corner you have Blake Masters who appears to at least be trying to win at this point. The problem is he's trying about two months too late after he already ran a primary hard to the right. He's pulling a Martha McSally and he's not doing it especially well, but he is at least trying. No, he's National doing Republic- it brazenly. <laughs> yeah, National Republicans understandably seem pretty skeptical about Blake Masters' chances, uh, or more specifically, skeptical that they should be spending money in Arizona instead of other states where they have better candidates who have a better chance to win, like say Georgia or Nevada. Um, so they're basically going, you know, uh, you know on, on that corner, Republicans are basically asking Peter Thiel to fund his bad candidate. In Ohio, Ohio is a state we have a likely Republican. We don't think Ohio is going to go for Tim Ryan. We don't think Tim Ryan will win. We think this will probably be six to ten point race at the moment. Uh, it's just too red of a state, and you don't flip seats like this. Do not flip in off years. Um, you don't see it. You would need a basically a nine point swing uh, from the presidential in a neutral environment that's closer to a thirteen point swing because that'd be a, even a even a neutral environment it's a four point swing from 2020 or is a four point swing or so from 20 uh, yeah. 2020 you would need basically a 13 point swing in Ohio that unlikely. does not happen yeah that's unlikely but it's not unlikely enough that Republicans are not looking at the floundering JD Vance campaign which is dealing with a number of issues among them uh JD Vance being heavily in debt J.D. Vance not wanting to fundraise. J.D. Vance not wanting to campaign. J.D. Vance wanting all of his campaign debts to be paid off before he pumps a single penny into his own campaign. They're J- looking at this race and wondering why they need to f- – and, and they're wondering why they need to be throwing money here instead of Peter Thiel, who again put a lot of money in this campaign for J.D. Vance. Um, who do you think blinks here? What is going on? What's the outcome that would work? I think the outcome that would work the best for everyone is that Peter Thiel just ponies up the money and pays for his own candidates. It's not like he doesn't have the money, but it seems exceptionally like a poor business decision to pay 
$15 million to influence Republican primaries and then have both of your candidates lose because you're too cheap to spend on them. This, can I just say, J.D. Vance is very lucky that this is a, an off year. If this mm-hmm. were a Democratic yeah, midterm, oh my God. If this oh, were a Democratic dear, midterm, J.D. Vance could legitimately. Oh, he was a nominee in 2018. He would have gotten creamed by Sherrod Brown. I thought Jim Renossi ran a bad campaign. If J.D. Vance was running this campaign in 20, it turns out running a bad campaign is a running not a campaign like Renossi did. It's a lot better than running a very bad campaign like J.D. Vance is doing. Well, here's the thing. If if you run a naughty campaign, people will sometimes just go to the to the partisan lines then. Like they'll just say, mm-hmm. okay, he's the Republican. Sure. If you if you explicitly run a bad campaign, <laughs> people not like you. You see, the thing with Renacci is that he just no one run. knew who he was. <laughs> because no one knew who you are, that doesn't mean they hate you. Yeah, you he was a generic R. What? Jim Renacci was generic R. He was generic <laughs> R. No one knew who the hell he was, but no one hated him enough to care. That's why we were like, oh, Sherrod Brown only won by like seven points. What the hell happened here? What happened <laughs> was that Jim Renacci was just normal R. He was literally generic R. No one knew who he was, which means he wasn't going to win, especially against Sherrod Brown in the 2018 environment. But what also meant is that uh you know no one who was you know a maybe let's let's say not like super partisan republican but like a general excuse me a generally partisan republican would be like yeah i really dislike this guy i'm gonna vote against him you know and <laughs> even though i usually vote republican because you know it just everything was bad and blah 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 no 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 that's not how that worked so so vance is is actively making is actively making stories that make people dislike him this this recent one where he's just like, yeah, I'm just not gonna go and like do events, is is <laughs> so mind-numbingly stupid. He's running a campaign like like 15 year old me would. <laughs> like no, and in all seriousness, this isn't gonna flip. But Tim Ryan's running a very good campaign, and JD Vance is running a really bad campaign. Yes. He has been. He he's started to experience some flaws lately, uh, specifically over culture messaging. He's facing some newer issues he wasn't facing before. It was not. Yeah, he's basically been running on economic stuff the entire time. That's easier to do in Ohio. More recently, he's faced questioning over abortion. He he's had to push back on, for example. The student loan thing. He's been one of the few Democrats to speak out against that because it's frankly not very popular in Ohio. But he also um, supported it. Yeah, he also supported it. So, like, I, I think what in particular is the most bad about the Vance campaign, and why I can't get too mad at, too, like I said last week, I can't get too mad at Masters. Is he running a bad campaign? Sure, but it's a conventionally bad campaign. He had it's a bad a strategy. <laughs> yeah, he had a bad strategy. The strategy was was pivot right in the pivot right in the primary, and then pivot to the center in the general. Uh, Martha McSally tried that twice. It didn't work, but it's at least a strategy. I don't know what JD Vance's strategy is. I, I mean, like, like since he won the election, he's been pretty dead on the airwaves. He's been not been paying off his debt. He's either spent the time not really doing a lot of campaigning at all. When he is campaigning, it's just minor events, or maybe he's just over in Israel talking about fertility rates for some reason. Like, so, so honestly, I feel, I, yeah. here's the strategy. Here's the strategy. He's trying to run a Renacci campaign of I'm just not going to do anything. Problem is, he was a very public figure. Mm-hmm. So this is the problem with running. This is the problem with one, running commentators for political office. They say stupid things all the time. One reason I think Al Franken had such a hard time winning in in two thousand eight. Why that was such a competitive race. He had a long track record of some very liberal and very controversial opinions. He still won that race, 
he won it narrowly in a very, very bad year for Republicans in a state that <laughs> he, he, he won it. Are we sure he won that? <laughs> Come on. Wait, did I miss the did I miss something? This is a stone. It, I, I am I am a full-on Norm Coleman uh 20, 2008 <laughs> truther. Full full on. It, it's full one on. of like was, it's one of like was three stolen election. Yeah. If you're a Republican that's been around since 2000, there's probably like two elections you're looking at. Like an actual normie Republican, there's maybe two elections you've looked at since that are kind of fishy. It's 2008 Washington governor and 2008 Minnesota gov- uh, Minnesota Senate. Democrats have one of their own, which is 2008 Alabama governor. I think these are the three 2000s like you can look at and say there was some weird stuff. But I think regardless of what you can say is that Franken was definitely hurt uh, by his you know, very public, very, very public, outspoken persona. I, I don't I mean, think – go ahead. Obama, go ahead. Won, Obama won that state by a very, 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 very large margin. Um Vance has the same issue in particular, which is that he has a very long track record of uh, our more recent track record of saying some dumb things. There's a reason this campaign had a dozens page long oppo folder that they had that they inexplicably released to the public for some reason that pointed out that before he was Wait, even a candidate for office. Yeah, I've tried to find it. It's been deleted from their Dropbox. But yeah, they had a, they had this publicly available on the website. It pointed out, among other things, he wasn't particularly conservative before Trump came around. Um, he had he has some difficulty with Republican orthodoxy. Well, the more recently, very, the not very yeah. conservative before Trump thing. In fairness, is kind of Ohio. So. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty typical Cincinnati suburban R, except he's he's except he shifted heavily to the left on economics and he's pivoted heavily to the right on social issues. Um, it's one thing, for example, to talk about it all no exceptions abortion ban. Is that popular? No. Can you still win with that position? Sure. There's plenty of there's plenty of politicians that have won with that position. How many politicians have won making a making a, we need to reconsider no fault divorce as a, one of, as a thing? How many of them have won with other things? Again, to be fair, Master said all the stupid stuff too. He's at least pivoting. I don't know what what Vance's strategy is. He's not done a lot since well, the primary. Masters Masters has the same problem as Vance. Masters can't pivot he just yep. can't he, he has too long of a record and, and there's too many videos of him staying dumb shit yeah and and no, and no pivot will be credible no and to be clear it's easier to pivot when you when you're in elected office kirsten cinema was able to position herself as a moderate because she had a genuinely moderate record in the in the house of representatives that was able to overcome a decade of some really really weird political positioning because she had established a record in the house over four years that was fairly moderate sorry six years that was fairly moderate. That was very moderate. She had a. She was able to position herself accordingly. She had difficulty winning her first time. After that, it was easier. Mm-hmm. Masters is running for statewide office. Vance is running for statewide office for the first time. They're yeah, they're first time candidates. I don't know if Vance. I, I don't know if Vance expected he wouldn't have to campaign if he wouldn't have to spend time on this election. I, I know there, there's Vance an article that came to win. <laughs> yeah, there was an article that came out. Uh, it was particular. He doesn't like working on weekends. Sure, Same. you're a candidate for office. You are a candidate for office, sir. You are expected to work on weekends. Yeah, like I don't want to. Work you want on to be a senator. Either. I don't you, you want to work be, in the Senate, though. You want to be one of the. You want to be one of the hundred most powerful men in the world, or one of the five hundred. I would say the Senate's certainly more powerful than us. You want to be among the most powerful men in the world, and you don't want to work on weekends. Yeah. It's incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, and, to answer and, your first question, though, I I think McConnell blinks first. 
I think in Arizona, sure. I, I do think the Ohio trends are better now. Again, Ryan is having to run against actual criticisms now. He's kind of he kind of was yeah, able but, to skate through for a few months, but yeah. But who's going to put those criticisms on the airwaves? Not JD Vance. Apparently, Mitch McConnell. I, I guess they're spending <laughs> money there. They're spending a lot of money. They can take the money out whenever they want, but they are spending money there. Somebody. Uh, the told, question is how much is needed. Somebody needs to show Rick Scott that Trafalgar Washington poll and <laughs> just have him move his resources. <laughs> every I was every penny spent in Ohio is a personal failure on the part of Peter Thiel for pushing these candidates through. I don't think any other candidate in that field would have required you to spend the money in the general election. Mandel Even might Mandel. have. I don't even think Mandel. Why? Mandel does the bare minimum. He campaigns and he raises money. Those yeah, are but, two things J.D. Vance does not do. Yeah, but see, the problem for Mandel is he has a record that is not very consistent. Uh, he was a Mitt Romney guy. Now he now he's running as. It's not very consistent, but it's Ohio. Uh, he He's not reviled by people in the Ohio Republican Party for the most part. Uh, there's not. I mean, he's basically be running as generic R. Uh, a party, you know, uh, uh, yeah. and, you know, uh, whatever the term is for someone who just kind of switches their views on the fly. But, like, I don't think he would have required Republicans to step in and spend anything at all. I, I think he would have had to run an actual campaign. I Like, sure. Mike Mike Gibbons could have run the Jim Renacci campaign and probably been just fine. But the thing he is, people are running probably. actual campaigns. We expect candidates to run campaigns. Katie Britt in Alabama is running an actual campaign. I, this is just expected been, of a politician. Who is Chuck Grassley against a Democrat? I don't uh, a, dem, a pro a pro uh, choice a pro life Democrat um, among other things. Oh. Chuck Grassley is running an actual campaign. Is he's in a safe election? He is not at risk of losing that oh, that district. Is he still running a campaign? Yes. Is uh, in Washington? Yeah, that's that's the state we have. It's safe now. Is Patty Murray running an actual campaign? Yes. Like. You are expected to run a campaign as a candidate. He is not doing that. Um, until he starts doing that, I think a lot of people are going to be justifiably angry at him because he's a deficient candidate. And I think a lot of Democrats are going to justifiably chug on some hopium, even though I don't mm -hmm. think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I'll forgive them for chugging it a little bit. The the problem with Tim Ryan is again you got to get you got to actually do better in polls than forty five percent. But the other thing is again you cannot you cannot avoid the culture messaging forever. Um, he has a record on the stuff. He's already starting to face criticism even from mainstream media. He was asked on CNN his position on abortion and was unable to effectively articulate any limits on abortion he would support. And it was su such a poor answer that it it could be run into Republican ad because it was just he did not know what to say. I think he's running a very disciplined campaign. But for you to get a general, you're going to need to skate by a lot better. And he's very lucky. J.D. Vance is very lucky that this is not a Democratic year. He and that, lose. Yeah, he would he would be in a much better shot at losing, I would say. Yeah. Again, like Vance has time to pivot. I think he's run maybe one or two ads, both of which feature his wife. It's the same thing Masters has done um, mm. for some reason. Um, I think, again, it's the teal it's the teal people running his campaign. He's personal friends with these people, but for some reason get spend money on their campaigns. My, my theory Whatever. for why they're using their wives and ads is it's the Mark Zuckerberg effect. They don't feel like they're, <laughs> they don't appear to be very human. They appear to yeah, be pretty robotic. Yeah. So they need a, they need human testimony. Well, there's also a tangible benefit for Vance, which is that I, again, I, I want to be very specific here as to what this tangible benefit could be. 
uh, his wife, his wife is Indian. Um, that is a tangible pushback on claims that he is a racist. This isn't an effective one. Uh, not yeah, when you're going not, to not talk really. about white birth rates. Yeah, not really. But um, just well, he was Tiffany very was in Israel, but like that's an implicit pushback on a that's an implicit pushback a play for a pushback on a messaging that he had earlier, which is the whole uh, "Are you a racist? Do you do you hate Mexicans?" ad like that. That's an implicit pushback on that sort of thing. Whether it's effective, I don't know. What what I can say is you cannot run a you cannot run campaign ads that just feature your wife. That's not how it works. Uh, Chip Roy, he had a really good campaign ad with his wife. That was not his only ad. He ran other ads. Uh, his, in fact, he actually had a good reason for his his wife to be in an ad. It was his wife talking about his battle with cancer. Um, like that's a compelling emotional message right there. Just my husband is great. He grew up. Uh, he grew up a hillbilly. He's he's great. Vote for him. Like eh, I don't that's know. The best you got. You're lucky you're in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. So. Ultimately, what I think the, the most likely scenario is, is that Mitch does have to pay up, but Teal is really jeopardizing his influence in the party. Um, Did he have any? Yes, but I think part of it is, again, the incompetence of Rick Scott If you if, uh, in at least managing the NRSC. Rick Scott is very I, good at winning elections in Florida. He's apparently very bad at managing money. Uh, who I, can't predicted believe, this? I can't believe a guy who defrauded Medicaid is doing a bad <laughs> job running the NRSC. <laughs> the, yeah, Rick who, Scott. Who could have possibly Rick, seen this coming? Yeah, Rick Scott. Again, he made a deal with the devil. He made a deal with the devil, which is to win every election by one percentage point, but to be incapable of handling money correctly. <laughs> that, seems to be, that seems to be how this is going, hasn't it? Yeah, but again, like, Normally, a competent Republican Party would spend spend on on advertising against campaigns, and this works. Believe it or not, Katie Britt is the nominee in Alabama. Joe O'Dea is the nominee in Colorado. Tiffany Smiley is the nominee in Washington. When you spend money in states to promote your candidates, it works. It works. Twenty fourteen. Look at twenty fourteen. Every single state that Tea Party cranks tried to go after, they lost. They lost all of them. There was not one victory there. They lost every single one of them. You can counter Teal's money if you are the NRSC, and Mitch will. Mitch's Senate Leadership Fund absolutely will counter Peter Teal's money at this point. Um, they chose not to spend these races uh, because they because Rick Scott does not know how to run a, uh, run the NRSC. If they do this in the future, you are absolutely jeopardizing Peter Teal's position of influence because not wanting to spend money as a donor is a pretty good way to get blacklisted. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, that's probably all we've got here for right now. Um, again, uh, we're going to be back next week, same time, same place for Elections Weekly. Uh, we we are planning, we mentioned several weeks ago, our plans for Elections Weekly, uh, or Elections Daily Game Night, uh, where you can ask questions for us, uh, reach out and do that. So we're going to announce plans for that at some point soon. We'll have the question sheet ready. You could, of course, ask questions live during the show. But if you want to do ask them ahead of time, we would have a basket of those as well. So keep that in mind. We have other. We have another exciting update. I know we, we teased this last week. I cannot announce what it is this week. We have a very exciting update to announce for you early this week. Uh, when you see it, I think you'll be really impressed. We're very excited about this, but it needs a little more time. So keep an eye out for that announcement. And I'm, I think you'll all be pleasantly surprised by what you see. So with that, you know, be sure to follow us on Twitter at our at our uh, elections daily, elections uh, elections dash underscore daily, elections dash daily dot com. Uh, like, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to us from. And uh, 
uh, just we really appreciate your support and all you're doing, uh, all you've done in helping us go this far. So we'll see you next week uh, for next week's edition of Elections Weekly.